Hello. Hello. And welcome back to Invasion of the Potty Snatchers. Well, a little bit of a change up today. We've actually just been to the watershed to watch today's film, A Matter of Life and Death. There's a nationwide festival of Paul and Pressburger films, and we were going to watch A Matter of Life and Death anyway, and it just happened to be on at our favourite cinema. Exactly. The watershed's a lovely place to watch films and, and needs all the support it can get at the moment. Uh, the only thing we sacrificed was the biscuits and tea today. But we did make up for it with ginger beer and Tony's Chocolonely, which is delicious. So why did we choose to watch this one? Well, again, it's one of those films where I've got very good memories of it from a kid, rainy Sunday afternoon. Certain things stick in your mind. We do this a lot. We choose films because we have good memories of them. But the results aren't always matching up to our memories of them. So let's dive into this a little bit. A Matter of Life and Death is a Paul and Pressburger film from 1946. Yep, starring David Niven and Kim Hunter. Also featuring Raymond Massey. It's a romantic fantasy about a pilot who finds himself in a plane that's about to crash at the start of the film. Yeah, and he's just calling through, finds a sympathetic ear. So June is the radio operator, the American radio operator, and they fall in love instantly. He not only finds the time to ask her to send a telegram to his mother, but also to flirt a little bit. And yeah, they do. They kind of really hit it off. It's quite a well-done scene, that, isn't it? It's very striking. It's unusual in that there was an opening sequence that lasts about three minutes before this, where we're shown the whole universe and then we descend into Earth and through the clouds and see everything. And I I felt that actually we could have done without that, even though it's echoed Mm. later on in the film. Back to the plot. Quick praise of the plot. They fall in love. Because of thick fog, the conductor who is supposed to take him to the other place, the unnamed other place through in the film, which we think is an analogy of heaven, loses him in the fog, so Peter washes up on the beach. Yeah, he thinks now he's in heaven or in some sort of afterlife. And so do we when he's struck. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite an odd, there's some odd scenes in that. It's, we'll quite, about. it's quite surreal, isn't it, the opening? Yes. And then, um, so he eventually... Stump, literally comes across June again. Stumbles straight into her. Nice coincidence. And the love affair continues. But the conductor comes back and says, you know, there's been a mistake. We need you back up in heaven. Peter asks for an appeal. Gets his appeal. And then the film is about him proving that the newfound love between him and June is so strong that he deserves a chance of happiness and yeah. to remain alive. But at the same time, we also have another explanation, a much more a much more prosaic explanation of what's going on with Peter and why he's having these hallucinations um, or delusions. It's because he has a brain injury and his work with Dr. Reeves, who we meet there, is to help him diagnose that and then cure the injury. That story runs parallel to the story of his heavenly trial. The trial in heaven is almost presented as like his mind either going to accept his fate or struggle fight on to live, isn't it? Yeah, um, but we we never quite. Well, I think the film is meant to leave you in doubt as to whether the heavenly scenes are real or a subject of the of the injury he's of, received. Yes, of yeah. the injury exactly. I, I think when I was younger, I veered much more towards uh, the fantasy element that this is all as presented. It he is fighting for his life in a heavenly court. Mm. Whereas more recent viewing, such as today, it's no, it's it's a It's the impact of his injury and it's in his mind. I think that that's down to the viewer to decide. My feeling is very strongly because of the way that the film is shown that it is the delusion. It's the result of the injury. But other people see it very strongly the other way. And that's 
one of the nice things about this film is there's different ways of reading it. Yes, that, yeah, you can see why it strongly resonates with a lot of people. That its emotional heart is clear, and the characters are very relatable. I mean, obviously now when we say we're not in a position of war, other people are, but at the time, I think a lot of people related to people meeting quickly, falling in love quickly, and deciding that was their lives. Because yes. Because that is quite remarkable, the way the speed with which they fall in love and the acceptance that we felt watching that of that being a real relationship. And the, that's very unusual. I mean, it's, it is it feels very unusual now, but I wonder if it was so unusual so at the time. Let's, let's just start with, can we start examining that scene? Okay, so I thought that the first scene, the first scene with people in is really striking. It establishes the relationship between the two lead characters so quickly and is a sort of force really in in terms of acting as much as anything yeah i mean david newman is the epitome of charm dashing hero which carries on throughout the movie then and then there's kim hunter who as the other half of the equation is also equally as good but in slightly more passive role perhaps she is reactive, yes. His role, he is talking incredibly quickly, especially... Very, very fast. He's almost difficult to follow, isn't it? It is, but he's, he's clearly portraying brittle confidence, trying to cover... You know, it, it would appear that he knows he's dying. Well, he definitely knows he's dying. And he's... It's the full stiff upper lip, isn't it? It is. It's the full stiff upper lip. And it's really very affecting because she is such a good foil for that. She reacts so beautifully, even in the extreme top focus. That's the style of the time, though, isn't it? It is. We can't escape that. Yeah, but they're they're both excellent, and they're excellent throughout the film. And that sets the tone of the film, because it is a romance at its heart. Absolutely, yeah. It's, It's their love story. And the romance starts right at the beginning, and is there and believed and if you don't if you can't believe that at the start then the rest of the film won't make any sense so it's it, it is vital and speaking for myself it works for me i i believe that they fall in love over that radio yeah in the first five minutes yeah absolutely yeah it, it really sticks with you it's, it feels right doesn't it? it does and the acting through the rest of the film is well I guess you call it it's like stylized British acting of the forties. It's not quite the the strident shouting you might get in like the thirties, <laughs> but it, it, it's more naturalistic at times. But it's not well. It's clipped. There's it's, a, there's a very there's the, everybody in it is very upper class, very David Niven. David Niven is setting the tone here. Yes, there's no sort of uh, cheeky Cockney chaps or whatever, is there? No, and so the characters are clipped and reserved. Very reserved, actually. I wonder if that would be a blocker to audiences these days. I think it would be. I think that they don't... Mean, there's quite a lot of not emoting. You are supposed to read between the lines a lot more. You're supposed to understand the unwritten. One doesn't show one's emotions. Mm. Maybe that's what... But I think that we're old enough to read that code still. We're still in touch with that, In perhaps. touch with that, yeah. I think you're probably right there. When, you know, our grandparents were actually active during the war period... That first scene is acted so strongly that the rest of it, it drags us along. We can believe it. We're buying in. Well, again, speaking for myself. I I think it does grip you from that. And we're touching upon why that's so important for the later part of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And other things that are really interesting about the film. I mean, the story's quite unusual. There's not many stories like that. No, I mean, the whole fantasy aspect of it is something that really strikes 
struck me from when I was a kid. Sure. It was like there's bits where time is slowed down, the whole appearance of the conductor. Yeah. It's, it, there's lots of fun bits. Actually, the conductor's quite funny and witty as well. It's interesting in the writing that there are there are jokes. There, it's it's quite light at times. Yeah, character-driven dri- jokes, aren't they? Yeah, but, uh, but given that given that the whole thing is literally a matter of life and death, it is dealt with in a quite a light way. Yeah, it, it contrasts the the French character mm. or the supposed French character with the supposed British character yes. with the Americans. That's a key theme throughout, and again, probably something we'll come back to later: the international view of the film, the contemporary international view of the film. I think that makes sense. Other things that I, other things that struck me from it were the some of the experimental kind of techniques used in the film, not always successfully. No. Also viewed from today's point of view, the special effects might not appear so special, but at the time, there's an extensive amount of work for practical effects, isn't it? There is. I mean, the staircase works wonderfully. I mean, it's, it's the key thing that everybody probably remembers from the film. Yeah, so the staircase linking Earth to the other place. Yes. It's a literal stairway to heaven. And it's uh, literally made. It's a practical thing. It was built by an escalator, by, built by London Underground, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it's six metres wide and it's genuine thing. And then they put column, um, what they call those mats. Oh, little hanging miniatures, I yeah. think, for the... Um, Statues alongside, mm. so. but it was so loud that they had to dub everything. That worked. What doesn't work for me, perhaps, were things like the eyelid closing moment. That seemed so. That was not good. That was really quite jarring. Right. <laughs> you agree? I, I, I didn't mind it actually. I thought that was quite. I mean, that would have been so weird at the time. That was a weird moment. I didn't actually, like it went it. into quite a psychedelic sequence didn't it when yes. he's, he's been anesthetized and you can see it from his point of view so his eyelid closes so this, then... this is an interesting thing because we actually felt we actually follow peter into the operating theater as a point of view so there's an interesting shot i mean technically interesting shot for me as we go into the but also the corrugated iron that he can see is reminiscent of the stairway yes it's the same sort of they, yeah there's they're, they're echoing the, the images but then yeah then we go the, the descent it's a weird because we go down to go up to the other place because the other place is definitely up. The escalator is up, but we go down and that made that. Uh, yeah, if we sink down into his unconscious, but yeah, we're going up. <laughs> I think perhaps I'm again in danger of overthinking that one. Possibly. I, that, but the, what were the special effects that you thought were special still, other than the staircase? Uh, the ones that I liked, I really did love the way that they had put together the size of, heaven, of the other place. I think that that was quite impressive. That was as good as 70s Star Wars. Yeah, the scale of it is really delivered on... on yes. Like huge the, vistas of... The set design of the other world is incredible. It's a fully realised world with real kind of physics to it. You can understand that place. And you also get to see where it fits in the universe, which is kind of a an interesting thing. Um, I don't think that some of the background lighting worked terribly well. I think I think something that I saw, because we saw it at the pictures, was the texture of the backgrounds, which I don't I hadn't picked up on t- TV. It didn't show as well. And the texture was it didn't quite come off, did it? it whatever no. effect they were hoping hoping to have some sort of angelic light or something behind the people, but it just came off as a bit distracting. It wasn't it did it looked a bit 
Um, I'm going to say it, euphemistically it looked very 1940s. What I'm actually saying is it was reminiscent of Nazi propaganda. A bit Lenny Riefen style for you? I, I don't know. Yes, yes. Probably, I, there was something about it that just had... I know it's a 40s look, but it still evokes a particular memory. So, yeah, there's beautiful photography all the way through, and I think this is Jack Carter's first film. As a, It's quite as impressive a, if it is. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, he's obviously worked his way up through the ranks as normal in those days. I mean... This is Powell's 30th film, I think, as a director, you know. Uh, but Cardiff comes in and he's pushing Technicolor to its limits. He's also doing in-camera effects to go from black and white to colour. Yes, that's, that's such an incredible uh, technical, a technical achievement there because they don't have any digital processing that we would use now. No, it's entirely, let's hope the print works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as there are lots of times when they fade, from colour to black and white and vice versa. And it's a really impressive visual effect, even now, especially on the big screen. It was... Yeah, it was much more impressive on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And the use of the the use of the Technicolour is mentioned by Marius Goring's um, conductor. So there's throughout the film, there is a feeling that heaven or the other place is just not as good. We shouldn't rush there because it's grey, it's monotone. And as the conductor says we have a distinct lack of Technicolor. Yes, it, it, it doesn't seem appealing in the slightest, does it? I mean, yes, you can meet everybody who's ever lived. You've probably got time to meet everybody who's <laughs> ever lived and play chess with them or whatever takes your fancy, but life is on Earth. That's the message that's clear, I think. that's one. There are, there are other messages, some of which are really rammed home, but that is the one that I'm going to choose to remember. Yes, that's the subtext here, isn't it? That's it the is. subtle one going all the way through this. The, like, yeah. You want to live... And love on earth. Can we move on to the things that we took away that kind of jarred for us both? Certainly. So there's a lot of weirdness. There's a lot of weirdness that doesn't fit or doesn't feel comfortable now, perhaps. It's certainly all intentional. Yes. I mean, you know, we we, we said there's this uh, young goat herd that he meets, first of all, that seems very odd to our eyes now. Yes, a naked boy of about 13 and it's there's a lot of nakedness. And it's just like, why are you naked? Why are you there? That does not make sense. It, it do, Well, it doesn't make sense to us. No. And there might be some me. allusions to um, oh, there's allusions mythology. To classic, yeah, absolutely. Stuff all the time, isn't there, throughout the film that we're not picking up on. I mean, certainly it's a far more erudite film than you would see these days. But that also leads to a, a distinct sort of break in the storytelling, doesn't it? Yes. I think... As well as the weird boy, what else do you remember? Well, actually, I'm not particularly enamoured of the opening, the, the actual opening sequence, which is a disembodied voice saying, oh, look at the universe, big, isn't it? Nice opening joke. But we go on what feels like a very long journey through space to end up on Earth. It is quite a slow build-up as well. Look at the gas giant. Oh, oh yes. Is it like an astronomy lesson here? I, mm. Mm. <laughs> and I know it's alluded to later on, and there's like it but comes also- out. That is another thing that it does when it does that pan out. It feels like that's only there so that we can link it back to the start. It doesn't feel there's another reason for it. No, I feel like the actual start of the movie should have been the fog over the yeah. channel and the radio voices, and then it's like June saying, uh, "Yeah, come in, absolutely. George, G for George." There's, there's probably a reason why we don't get to make films though, is because we wouldn't make decisions like this. Uh, yes, yeah, very poor at decision making. Yeah, and my other, I already mentioned this: the eyelids, just jarring, just really disembodied eyelids for no reason. 
jarring moment for me and perhaps an, a weirdness too far. Fair enough. It's a generally odd film. Yes, it is. It's dealing with a very unusual story. It's allowed to be as weird as it wants. So I think one of the other things wanted to discuss was the whole film's building up to this court case. Yes. And we're expecting a very emotional resolution, a quick resolution. In my memory, this was a very short court case and love conquers all. Well, in, 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 in all honesty, the actual court case bit is really short and is really satisfying that bit. Whether you know, as they descend the stairs and they observe the operation, operation place, yeah. and Peter and June defend themselves, it's the preceding twenty minutes, isn't it, with the defending counsel and the prosecuting counsel arguing whether Britain or well, whether England or America is better. It was really, un- really felt unnecessary. I think you told me that there was a reason behind it. Well, apparently they were approached to improve Anglo-American relations because post, well, during the war, it was always overpaid, over here, overpaid and oversexed with the American GIs and so on. And they wanted to kind of reverse that situation, have a British um, and fall in love with an American girl and also demonstrate how we should all move forward with life together. But this film doesn't really seem to hit that note. That note. It's more... Your, um, our culture is uh, obsessed with the weather and cricket, and yours is vapid and stupid. <laughs> yeah, they don't really reconcile the two. They just agree to disagree, don't they? Yes. They, they, so the two, the two councils sort of argue with each other for 20 minutes quite pointlessly about something, and then we eventually get back to the story. Which wraps up very nicely. But there was a point, wasn't there, where he collects a tear from June's eye on a rose yes. that is emotionally going to be the key to his court case and we expect that to come back in he mentions it and then just chatters on for about half an hour on metaphysics and it's really frustrating that it should it feels like there's a better more emotional resolution in there on the subject of roses the rose is um an image that's uh, an emblem on the conductor and they use that several times to fade in and out of this world and the other place and that's really quite important and I think that something's happened in the, in the story that was that was that rose was meant to be more significant, and I think something's happened. Yes, because at the very end, June is wearing that rose. Yeah, and I, she hasn't been given it or plucked it from anywhere before. I wonder if there's been an edit because ah yeah, we noticed there's the vicar credited in the end bit, and he's not in the film. Yes, so there there may have been some cutting. To, and it's an hour and forty, which is a decent length for a nineteen forties film. So I wonder if they've Crushed it. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be. Well, they could have. I think if we get the opportunity to time travel, we'll go back and ask them to cut the politics instead. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, David Niven's character points out politics. No one's, no one's a winner of that. <laughs> yes. So let's reflect on what we think overall. Now, would we recommend this? Do we still love it? How do we really feel about this movie? Well, I, I so many people's favorite film, and you can see all the reasons why. It's got such a warm heart. It's got such strong performances from the leads. It's got a great chemistry between the leads. It's got lots of brilliant things to it. And seeing it on the, at the cinema for the first time was wonderful. I was just taken out of it by two things. Two, the, the weirdness, yep. some of the experimental bits that don't quite work, and the politics, which possibly was more relevant at the time. I think we might be past that now. So would I recommend it to other people? No. I would imagine that the way that people would want to find this film is by accident in the way that I did. 
I feel that if you fell upon it, you might get a, an amazing response. It would have been interesting actually to chat to some of the people in the audience because it was a good mix of people, good mix of ages, wasn't it? It was really busy. Yeah, it was a packed audience and older people, but quite a considerable number of younger people. And it would be interesting to know how they've been recommended this movie to see. Do you think paying to see it in the cinema? Do you think it's the reputation of Powell and Pressburger? Do you think it's because this film has such a high reputation? It could well be. I mean, it's often cited by people like Scorsese, Edgar mm. Wright, or all the top directors now are influenced by them. What's, you haven't said what your response to the film was this time. I think three quarters of it is brilliant, wordy, philosophical, in the way you don't see in pictures mm. these days. I mean, for a light entertainment picture, not an art picture. Yeah, it's true. Um, but that sequence at the end, the courtroom basically, debating things, just went on too long and was divergent from the previous section of the film. And it didn't feature David Niven or the conductor, uh, Marius Goering. And so therefore, they were the best, or Kim Hunter, they were the best bits in the movie up until that point. They're gone for Mm. 10 minutes entirely. Plus, it's the longest sequence set in the other place, and therefore in the drab black and whiteness. And it just doesn't take you along. Whereas then, as soon as they descend on the elevator down, or the staircase rather, down and observe the operation taking place and they've got the jury and the judge there and they're all in Technicolor. It comes back to life, doesn't it? Yeah. And it really needed to be shortened down to the joke about the cricket, the joke about Frank Sinatra, whoever is singing the way, and a couple of other bits and pieces. But then that rose, I feel, was a bigger emblem, a bigger symbol of things, the poetry that Powell and Pressburg had liked to introduce into their films and it's just missing at that point. I think that really sums it up. That's, I think that... Hits the nail on the head. So shall we wrap it up there? Yes, let's let's do that. I mean, we both enjoyed it up to a point. I think, yeah, still still have a soft spot for it, but I've just got more reservations than I've had before. Yeah, but lovely to see it in the cinema. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. Take care, everyone. Speak see to you next, soon. See you next time. Bye.